Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering menu, food, and drink for both brands. Today I'm welcoming Akhtar Nawa, a celebrated chef, restaurateur, cookbook author, and partner in Hospitality HQ, a restaurant development company. Akhtar talks about his journey to become a chef with all its twists and turns taking him from his first job in California to the kitchen of New York's Gramercy Tavern to operating several Mexican restaurants to opening food halls. Listen as Akhtar talks about two of his latest ventures launching just this month, Dr. Murphy's Food Hall in Chicago and Good For You, a cookbook that highlights bold flavors with health benefits that he co-authored with food writer Andrea Strong. Welcome, Akhtar. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Sure. So tell me a little bit about your culinary journey, um, how the son of a Kentucky doctor became a chef at Gramercy Tavern in New York. (laughs) It's a a long, curvy road, I can say that. Um, What I've learned to say is that the the more interesting parts of the journey are on on the twists and turns, but uh, only after, after you get past them can you really look back at it and say, that was... That was interesting. I am here because I got through that. So I, I guess I've learned to do that a little bit because there have been, you know, significant ups and downs, just like with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I guess I guess to start from the beginning is, you know, I came from a a family of very traditional um, doctors, teachers, and in general, engineers, professors. But almost everyone's a doctor. So if you take my dad or my brother, my mother was a nurse for years, my two uncles, my grandfather. So the list goes on. They were all doctors. But, um, you know, my, my father practiced cardiovascular surgery, and that was a very serious profession. Um, and it was very demanding. And, and uh, our, our relationship was sometimes challenged because I chose one of um, a, little, a little more doubt, perhaps, you know, like a little more unknowns. Um, than I think choosing to be a, a, a doctor. Um, so, you know, we had, we had some challenges, but, you know, I pursued it and, and, you know, I started cooking when I was uh, 20 years old um, in Kentucky at a, a well-established kind of family restaurant in, in Louisville. And uh, I was fortunate enough to work with um, a chef who was very, very skilled and well-trained and, um, you know, he, he chose a career path that I think could provide for a family. And, you know, at the same time, he had some disciplines about him that were, were very good lessons. And there, there are things I look back at now and, and um, I'm really grateful that I actually, that I worked there and that I, I had the opportunity to learn from him because it was a really busy place and it got me comfortable moving around a kitchen that is a movement unlike any other I've, I've ever experienced um but you know to do so required a lot of repetition and 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 uh, kind of doing it over again and and i was really hooked um at the idea of of working um collectively with a group to achieve you know a single goal which was to make everyone's experience as great as we could and and I really thrived in that environment and I was part of a team that I think I hadn't really ever experienced in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, Not, not, you know, I guess in some ways like sports, but 
you know, this was, this was a little different. It, it was, uh, it had a passion to it that I think I hadn't had before. Um, you know, and I told my father I wanted to pursue it and I went to culinary school and my mother was supportive and nervous and, and my father was, was angry and upset. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but we had some people that were, that were supportive. Like I'm very close to my brother. Um, then my brother, you know, he, he really kind of did his best to kind of get in the way and deflect as much as he could. Um, and I went out to San Francisco and I, I, uh, and then really the, the kind of beginning of the journey, I think was really, we're really there. Mm -hmm. So you've always worked in kind of fine dining restaurants in the beginning? Um, initially, you know, like when I first started cooking, that's kind of where everyone needed to be in some ways, like mm -hmm. the, the, the rustic, um, the rustic kind of elegant cooking that I've come to appreciate and love later in life wasn't where I think people were getting their educations in some way. I'm not saying that you couldn't, I'm saying that it wasn't really, um, it wasn't really perceived as the place you wanted to go to start. Right. No. Um, and, and I ended up working at, at, you know, when I went to, I was going to culinary school and I, I applied for a job at, at this place called Bizu, which was one of the only four star bistros in the country for Loretta Keller. And I, I happened to eat lunch there and it was just so delicious that I, I, I kind of went there several days in a row and asked for work and she kept saying no. And then eventually she got tired of me and said, yeah, sure. Come on in. Um, and I, I, you know, I was lucky enough that she, she brought me on board and, and uh, you know, we remain extremely close friends today. Um, and I stayed out there for about four years working there and, you know, a couple other places and uh, before I got to New York. And, and then I think with that foundation that was in place, you know, that's, that's when I can say that I think I was a little more clear on where I, I, I needed to be, if that, if that makes kind of cohesive sense. Right, definitely. And so how did you transition into Mexican cuisine at La Esquina? Because that's kind of a right. different than um, tavern for sure. Right. So kind of what I was saying earlier, you know, the lessons were always, you know, to learn as much as you can. And this was, you know, it's funny, like, you know, Dave Chang and I have talked about this a number of times, but, you know, everyone had a very particular um, kind of, um, curriculum in a way which is you go get all the best experience you can at the finest restaurants you can from the finest chefs you can you take that knowledge you take that discipline you go and meet investors you raise money or you have it already from family and you open your own restaurant and then you you create and that was always how it was done and and that's how so many restaurants existed um, up until Essentially, I opened mine, which is around 2007, um, and I, I I did all of the right things. You know, I worked at the right places, and I, I mentored for the right people. But at the end of the day, I didn't have. I had great work experience. I was a, a very good cook. I say that now, like I was a very good cook, but I really wasn't a chef at that point. I really didn't understand what it was to run a business, especially in New York. And I, I, uh, we opened about three months or so before the economic downturn. And I remember it was like, we, we opened so strong and the, the press leading up to it was so strong. And, and the team I had assembled that, that had worked for me for years 
were all such good, strong cooks um, that I was feeling very confident. And then when, when all of this kind of happened and, and my footing got unstable, you know, my lack of experience, now I look back on it, is it, it, was, it was part of what kind of crushed our ability to succeed. And, you know, <clears throat> while I take a lot of blame for it, I know that there's obviously some things I couldn't control you know, but, but, uh, after that, after that, um, kind of personal, like tragedy, tragedy in a way, you know, when you're, when you're a passionate, creative person, you know, oftentimes I think you exist by your work and not necessarily yourself. You know, the individual that you are, isn't necessarily what people know and see, they see your work. And so when I didn't have anything to show for that work that I was doing, I felt as though I, I really didn't have an identity. And after the restaurant closed, I, I really, I took a lot of time off and, and um, you know, I was very depressed and I was going through home life changes and, and trying to figure out how to, how to be the parent that I think, you know, I knew I wanted to be, but that I wasn't necessarily at that time. And, um, you know, six months later, I, I kind of had a, 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 a desire to cook again a very little one, I should say, like a small one. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. All I knew was that I was, I was nervous and scared to go back to kind of doing what I was doing because I felt like I failed so miserably at it. And I was looking for a change, honestly. Like I was just looking for something different. And I didn't know what it was. It could have been any number of things. Like I was open to learning Vietnamese food or learning this or that or whatever it may be, any of those things I love. But Mexican presented itself to me and someone approached me about being the chef at La Esquina and I talked to my friend about it, this guy who approached me and I said, I got to be honest, I don't know anything about Mexican food, <laughs> like almost nothing. And he said, you know what, Akhtar, I think it's okay as long as you're willing to learn and as long as you're willing to accept that you may not know the most uh, in the kitchen to, to get started. And it was a very humble experience to be around, you know, all of these people and cooks and, and employees that actually knew more than I did about the cuisine I was trying to learn. And I was the one who was brought on to be the chef. But, you know, they needed management and they needed leadership and I could provide those things. And over time, I got really comfortable with these ingredients. And then five years, you know, so five or so years later, um, when I chose to leave, it, it was, um, I felt like I had, you know, and through, through some trips to Mexico and just being open-minded, you know, I think I looked at it and said, you know what, I don't think I'll ever be able to be the authentic chef that, you know, this other person may be. However, my interpretation of Mexican is my own. And, and I think that's honestly where a lot of, the originality of what I was doing was so inspiring because I didn't know that much about it. And it was all, it was all first time experience. Mm-hmm. And that was exciting. I, and then I realized like I needed to be, I realized something about myself, I guess, which is number one, I needed to be learning in order for me to be happy. And I also needed to be um, creating without just reproducing. And, and that was something that I think was very meaningful at the time. Does that make, does that make follow? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Right. Amazing story. Um, and now your menus kind of combine Indian with Mexican and New American and even some Louisiana flavors because you have a restaurant in New Orleans as well. We do. Um, you know, so so when I when I really got like like I was saying, when I got to a point where I was feeling really comfortable with these flavor profiles and these these chilies and these moles or whatever the whatever the, the flavors may be, you know, I really started to to understand that there was a real similarity between the food I grew up with and the food that I was now learning how to cook. And when I really took a step back and kind of started really thinking about it in a way I hadn't before, it was really exciting, you know? And, and I said, wow, this is so similar to the food I grew up with in some ways. It may not have the exact same flavor, but the way it's being prepared and the length of time it's taken to cook, the number of ingredients, the, the method in which it's happening, you know, the, the, the end result and how you eat it and how you share it. All of those things were really common, and I found. And, and that became something that was, was something I really embraced about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see where that is because a lot of them are, you know, you make a lot of different sauces and chutneys and things ahead that's... Mm -hmm. Hands the mm -hmm. cuisine, so they have totally, yeah. These bright, interesting, and you know, like Mexican sometimes gets misrepresented, just like Indian. Like it's not this heavy, you know, greasy laden, you know, fried food necessarily. It's bright and fresh and light and interesting and 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 flavorful and exciting. And, and the same thing with Indian food. Like it's you know the stuff that people I think are really comfortable eating aren't necessarily the things that I think are, are, are exactly what the food is about. You know, the cuisine is about more. And, and sure, there are some rich dishes when you get to Northern India, but it's not all like that. And that's typically what we see. And, you know, like really, I was just in Bombay, I guess it's been a year and a half now, but I was in Bombay doing a dinner and I had never been to Bombay before. I had traveled all through the North, but never, never to Bombay. And I was absolutely stunned at, at how delicious everything was. Like I knew it was going to be good and I was so excited to try it, but you know, almost all of it was vegetarian and nearly, nearly all of it is vegan. And it was just so much flavor and there's just so much delicious textures and, and, and different things happening that I don't think it always gets represented properly. I get people want what they want, but you know, I think it, it, it doesn't get the representation yet that, that I think it, it deserves in some ways. And I think we're getting closer. There are definitely a lot of people who are doing um, great, great things. I think Floyd before he passed away was doing amazing, an amazing effort at getting the word out there. Um, and, and I hope it's not lost because it's uh I think it's really important, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That, that kind of brings me to your cookbook. I mean, that has a lot of better for you recipes in, like you're talking about lighter and vegetable forward recipes, but you combine so, the health benefits with old flavors. So how did good for you come about? Well, I think, it, you know, even beginning back on what I was saying was like those exciting, thrilling flavors that, that are present with the chilies and, and, and kind of, the mixture of ingredients, how they're presented, how they're cooked, you know, how they're, how they're eaten, um, are all, I think, things that I think 
help you in your day-to-day life with, with your health and maintenance of your diet. And everyone, obviously, you know, when I was, you know, 25 years old, I was certainly not concerned with eating healthfully. But as I've gotten older, just like most of us, you know, and with a greater understanding of what nutrition is, um, I think this book was, I was a very overweight child, you know, and I used to weigh, I I hate saying how much I used to weigh because a lot of it was uh, uh, just just through negligence. But, you know, I was around 240, 250, and, you know, and it was, that's that's a lot of weight to carry at my frame. And when I, when I went on this diet and I lost weight, I remember so clearly that, you know, we wrote this in the book, actually, our, we, we wrote it as like, it was a joyless but effective diet. And that is how the diets used to be back then. And they were just built on calorie restriction and they were built on, on raw vegetables and, and just, it was all based on calorie restriction. And it was, it was completely, you know, Joyless. I think that's the right way to say it. But, you know, over time people, you know, nutrition has been, has been understood differently and, and there's a greater understanding of what the nutritional needs are. And I'm not speaking about all the you know, various diets that are out there, but I don't practice any one particular situation of keto or anything. I, I just am interested in eating something delicious and making sure it's extremely well balanced mm-hmm. so that if I do have meat one day, you know, I certainly won't have a lot of it for some time to come, um, typically. And we're taking all of those flavors and cultures and, and textures and all those different kind of cultural components and we're blending them together in a way and saying, Here's, here are some really delicious things that, are, that you're not going to miss out on anything and they're good for you. And that was really the purpose. And so when I connected with Andrea, who's the writer, you know, when we worked on this together and we've known each other for so many years, um, it was, it became very easy to write. And, and honestly, she, she knows me so well already that um, she could take, she could take what I was thinking and, and put them into words in a way I think and present them that, that I think made really good, good sense. And at the same time, you know, the, the book isn't a diet book and it's not designed to be um, anything of that nature. It really is like, here's a handful of thoughts um, on some dishes that I think are really delicious and they're fun and exciting, but at the same time, they're not nothing to prepare. Like it's not, you know, some, some cauliflower rice and, and some boiled chicken or something, you know, it's, there is, there are lessons in here and there is technique in there and there is um, kind of some thinking that needs to happen. So I won't say that it's the absolute easiest book by any means, but at the same time, you know, you always have to work for it, I think, so. Right. Well, food holes are another segment of the industry that you're really passionate about. So tell me how you became involved with Inner Rail. Sure. In- um, so the food hall world is, is obviously very different than, than any of the kind of restaurants that I worked in before. And while we do still have restaurants, including like, uh, you know, even the one in New Orleans, which is, suffering through this pandemic, unfortunately, a little more than some of our other ones, but, um, you know, hopefully we're, we're, we're getting to a point where we can reopen it, but it's just been difficult to, to, to figure out. But the, the, 
the lesson, I guess, you know, in the food halls through this pandemic, and we've done a number of kind of engagements with various media about this, but what we're really seeing and I'm really experiencing is that, you know, I have a lot of friends that are suffering through this pandemic in their business life and, and, and you know, not even speaking health-wise and family members, but they're really suffering. Their businesses are hurting, you know, this this kind of PPP money and the government funding that was created that was, you know, intended to assist was, wasn't really thought out well for restaurant owners. And, and a lot of that money's drying up. And, and I think we're starting to see a lot of businesses, unfortunately, close. And there's not much anything can do about it. But we do have some options, right? And one of the options, and we're seeing one of these interesting things with food halls, is that we're providing very low cost entry points for people to open businesses. And part of what's really interesting to me about the food hall experience is, you know, it's, it really is taking a lot of different flavors and cultures and immigrant stories and putting them under one roof in a way that says, here's something meaningful about this city. Mm-hmm. And in this case, we're talking about Chicago. You know, in the prior case, we were talking about Omaha. But like, interestingly enough, in Omaha, Chicago is already a very diverse place. But when you back up and say in Omaha, what we created was a, a food hall that has its busiest vendors are Indian and, and uh, a Momo shop that's Nepalese and Burmese. Who would have thought that those would be the busiest places in Omaha? And those, those vendors have done such an excellent job, those two guys. And I mean, amongst others, obviously there are more, but those two people have made such an imprint on my thinking that it's, it's been kind of remarkable that it made me understand that like their stories are really meaningful, you know, mm-hmm. to a lot of people. And I think when we created um, the Chicago Food Hall, Dr. Murphy's, Rather than kind of looking outward, we started looking inward and saying, what would really, really benefit this community, you know, besides, besides the fact that there's local people, you know, and local vendors. And, you know, so, you know, we went out, we found a barbecue tenant. Barbecue is an important cuisine for Chicago. You know, we went out and found Indian. Indian is a strong representation in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, we went out and found... Pizza, you know, pizza's obviously, you know, all over the United States, pizza's huge, but Chicago has its own version. And it's interesting because Chicago has so many versions. They have their own version, but they also have adopted versions. And, and there's so many different kinds of pizza out there. So we went and found, you know, a tenant who, who's taking a shot at their first opportunity uh, that's from, you know, worked at Spiaggia for many years and has all this Italian background and happens to be a close friend. So, you know, Here's an example of, of someone who doesn't have a million dollars to go open his own brick and mortar, but he certainly has 25000 to go open this food hall. And then what we do is we help. And this is, I think, what the most meaningful part is, is like, we don't just put them in there and, and say, see you later. You know, we're, we're with them every step of the way, every week, all day long. And we have people who work there. These guys can all call me anytime they want. Everyone has my number. Um, and I'll tell you, we do everything from, you know, pay, pay the rubbish removal to grease trap cleaning to accounting if they want help or, 
you know, payroll if they need assistance, like all that back end work that requires, uh, you know, a bookkeeper or a manager, like we're, we're doing all of that for these people. So all they really have to do is focus on cooking great food, hiring great people and representing themselves in the best way they can. And that to me has been really rewarding to see, um, kind of that proliferation of, of, of understanding and acceptance, especially in this time right now where I think everything feels very challenged and difficult um, from all aspects of life. I think that if we can unify in some capacity and put all these, all these stories under one roof and say, this is very American, actually. It's actually as American as it can be. I think that's really cool. Well, Dr. Excuse me, Dr. Murphy's is brand new, and it's being yeah. in Chicago's old Cook County Hospital. So how did you convert a, a building like that? It's actually been abandoned for a while. How did you convert it? Right. Into well, I'll tell you, you know, we would never take credit for anyone else's work. So Matt and Chris of Murphy um, Real Estate and uh, their partners, um, they took the original, the original hospital. Um, and they renovated it so beautifully um, that, that we put the food hall on the ground floor and, and there's a hotel attached to it as well within the building. And it's, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. And uh, it's, it's really, it's really kind of, it's really, it's really beautiful. Like it stands out from the street that, you know, this refinished building. Cause I went in there prior to any of the renovations and it was, I, I, you know, I thought we were going to fall through the floor or the ceiling was going to fall on us. Um, it was in such poor condition, but they really did a, an excellent job. So um, it's, it's been, it's been, it's been a really interesting process and they did it. So, you know, they've been working on it for a long time, but you know, since we've been on the project, they've really been moving. Um, so it's pretty cool. And then, you know, one of the, one of the funnier components is that my dad used to practice there when I was very young. So that's even funnier coincidence yeah um you located in this part of chicago for a reason i think you called it like a restaurant desert there isn't much there um so you know we've been spending a lot of time there lately um and and there really is only a few a small handful of of places to eat there besides the hospital cafeterias Mm -hmm. which obviously provide an economical quick you know situation you know quick fix type situation however that's that's not what we're offering we're offering artisanal crafted food by people who are pouring their heart and soul into it at a price point that is obviously going to be greater than the cafeteria but still in the kind of fast casual realm so we're, we're talking about you know there's no we do have coffee but it's it's a co- <clears throat> excuse me it's a, it's a coffee uh, house that's based out of Chicago, for example. You know, we do have, you know, a Mexican tenant, for example. However, it's not like Chipotle. His is, his is, you know, he's making his tortillas. He's making tamales. His mother came to tour with him. Like, like this is like the kind of experience we want people to have here is, mm-hmm. is to see someone making the tortillas on the plancha and grinding the masa or or, you know, whether it's, whether it's Ed, you know, pressing the pizza dough out and then cooking it in, in his, in his, uh, you know, in his oven or watching the barista 
that is not working at, at, at some large coffee chain, you know, making your coffee, or maybe even someone recognizing you and saying, welcome back. Like, those are all interesting things about the food hall that I think you simply can't get outside of these experiences. Mm. And to make it safe, because you're opening during the pandemic, you um, put so, a lot of tech um, uh, touch points in there. So can you tell me a little bit about sure. that? Sure. So keeping in mind kind of where, where we are with the pandemic and, and um, you know, how it affects everyone so differently, we, we had to err on the, on the side of being cautious for everybody. So as, as, is, as is, I think, as everyone should do and as is, uh, I think, expected by guidelines and whatnot. So fortunately, there is a lot of information out there. It's, it's almost a little difficult to siphon it all. However, you know, we have a couple of people we've, we've engaged that, that are um, consultants that, that are like health consultants that assist us through the process too. But, you know, other than the kind of necessary things like plexiglass protecting, you know, the cashier from you or vice versa and, and temperature checks and, you know, all the log books and things like that. We actually created our own COVID protocol manual. So Hospitality HQ, which is our company, create our own COVID manual that we actually distribute to the vendors. And we have that actually checked out as well by, by Department of Health to make sure that it's all um, correct information. And we also know things are changing from time to time. So we do have the ability to update. So we provide all the vendors and our managers with logbooks and all of the tools necessary to track the information um, that they need to record. Um, and then when we talk about the tech component, you know, contactless payment, for example, is, is a big option. So we've actually partnered with Apple on this, pro on this project. And while Apple Pay can be um, taken, you know, in many, many places, obviously, you know, the, the food hall, at Dr. Murphy's is working with Apple in a slightly different way. You know, we're, we're really working together to, to make Apple pay be the, the primary source of, of, of payment method for the vendors and for everyone else. Um, you know, we're, you're able to pay with QR code scans these days. You know, we put our menus we put our menus online. You have the ability to pay as well there. We have delivery pickup and we actually have a concierge area as well. So should you not necessarily want to enter the food hall um, other than to get your food and quickly leave, what we do is we aggregate those orders. We put them on a table, not unlike like a sweet green kiosk or something like that. So you can come in there, present your ID, take your food and leave. Um, and those are all those are all things that I think you know it's really difficult to do that in food halls typically because there's so much there's so many different POS terminals. However, we're working with a platform that aggregates all the information and kind of condenses it into one unit. So um, you can pay ahead of time. You can schedule a delivery if you don't want to be there when other people are there. For example, you can schedule it to be you know if you want to have your dinner at five or earlier, maybe you pick it up at four thirty. So you have all those options available. So we tried our best to create as many platforms and options as possible. Well, it sounds really exciting. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, soon. August 3rd is our, is our yeah. opening day. So. And so in addition to being an award-winning chef, you seem to really have a good head for business. So how did you develop that? 
Well, I say that, you know, whenever I get asked this, I say nothing will make you a better math student than closing a restaurant in New York. So um, it's, uh, it's, you know, I, what can I say? It's um, made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I think, you know, I'm, we're, we're good about, um, I say, I say we, but you know, me and my business partner is, we're good at learning from, I think our mistakes and we're open and, and, and I think humble enough to say, I totally messed that up. Let's not, let's make sure we don't do that again. Um, and you know, that said, you know, I've been operating in New York for a long time and, and I think, I think we've developed a, a stronger, a stronger sense of, you know, we've developed our acumen for business, I think uh, a little more um, than I think we had in the past, but it's really very necessary, honestly. Like if you want to do the things we're doing, I think we really have to be able to do this. So um, there, there's a lot of people involved in the mix though, you know, like we work a lot with, with Phil Colicchio and Trip Schneck from, from Colicchio Consulting. It's a Cushman and Wake firm. Mm -hmm. division you know we do a lot of work with those guys and and you know collectively i think we've been achieving um a lot of what we set out to do so um it's it's it really you know it really is a team effort on this on this on the food hall projects and, and you know obviously a lot of it works to help our own businesses as well mm -hmm. and well, you know we want to be around for as long as we can so we, we uh, it requires a lot of a lot of uh, attention. I guess, you know, having a recession under your belt and a pandemic is really good preparation for whatever comes. I tell you, I tell you, I feel, nothing prepares you more than failure, right? So. Right. <laughs> so are you planning more food halls or what's next for you and hospitality? We, you? Yeah. Um, so we, we have, we have, uh, you know, have the book coming out in August. Um, and, and, you know, I'm excited about that. We do have a couple more food halls that are signed and in the works. We have one, one that we're working on in Houston and um, one in the Midwest and, and one in, in the Northeast mm -hmm. uh, that, that we're all, we're very excited about. So, um, you know, we're staying busy with our consulting. You know, we are, we are entertaining the idea of uh, a new, a new barbecue concept, which, um, which we've been talking about with the Mexican spin, but, but again, like, you know, we're, we're pretty measured in, in kind of what we do. So we know the food halls are happening, but, but we're talking about this restaurant concept too. So we, we, we like to stay busy for sure. Yeah, it sounds it for sure. Well, thank you so much. Um, this was sure. so much fun for me. And I appreciate well, your time and good luck with the opening of Murphy's, Dr. Murphy's. Thank, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk oh, also. Sure. No, this is great. I can't wait to experience Akhtar Nawab's next project. Thanks for joining us on Menu Feed today, and stay tuned for the next episode when I continue to explore the trends and people that are shaping the industry.